It's time for Tin Pan Diddly Doo with Haley, Rose, and Blues. We'll talk about musicals from the past and the score and the culture and cast. From the early days of theater to the modern renaissance. Be it wild, experimental, or the same old song and dance. We've got trivia behind the scenes and everything you want. And our personal input to the things that make us happy. That make us blue. <laughs> nice. The stuff that's vapid and sappy. And the moments that shine through, shine through. Why not sit on down for an hour or two as we edutain you? Come and satisfy your craving for a podcast with possess. The audience is raving for the content this one has. And, and since the intro's nearly through, welcome to Tin Pan Diddly Do. Ladies and gentlemen, and variations thereupon, welcome back to another episode of Tin Pan Diddly Do, a stupidly named musical theater history podcast. I'm your director, Lily Blue. And I'm your gaffer girl, Haley Rose. Blue? Yes, Haley. <sighs> I got a problem. You do? Yeah. What's your problem? <sighs> I left my Broadway out on the counter, and now it's gone off. Gone off? Yeah, my Broadway's gone off. Oh, no. What does that mean? I don't know. You don't... I mean, nobody wants off-Broadway. Well, that's not necessarily true. Yeah? Yeah, a lot of good stuff has come from off-Broadway. Oh? Uh-huh. Like what? What, what kind of fantastic thing has come from off-Broadway? Well, it's funny you ask, Haley. Uh, in fact... It's funny that I ask in that specific manner. It's funny you ask in that very specific manner, Haley. It's because <laughs> the, the musical The Fantastics has come from off-Broadway. Oh, that sounds good. <laughs> yes, it's very good. <laughs> um, more or less. One might even say, wonderful. One might even say... Amazing. Fabulous. Yep. Superb. Let's play a game called how many how many words for very good can we say that <laughs> without saying fantastic? Well, here's the thing about fantastics is that it's not mm -hmm. spelled it's spelled like fantastics. So like if you took Fanta, the Coca-Cola product, yes. and solidified it into a rod. Yeah. And sold that as a fantastic. C-K-S. Get your Fanta sticks here. Best best value, best treat on a hot summer day in Atlanta. Exactly. Fanta sticks. Fanta sticks. Get Although, those hot, I, get those cold, icy, fruity treats straight from the camel's mouth. I don't know that Fanta was invented yet. In a camel's mouth? Oh, no. Fanta had just been around since 1940. What? Hachi machi. Are you serious? That's a long time. Yeah. 
I mean, it's probably been around since <laughs> they invented Fanta, fruit flavors. The Fanta drink originated as a cola substitute in Nazi Germany under the World War II trade embargo for Coca-Cola ingredients in 1940. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh-oh? Uh-huh. Uh-oh? It's okay. This is not a podcast about soda. Uh-oh? <laughs> Do you mean that Fanta is a Nazi soda? No, I think it just like I don't oh know. My God, Fanta is a Nazi soda. I don't know. The dark side of Fanta. The Fanta conundrum. Anyway, so the Fantastics uh, was a movie that first came out in 1960 off Broadway. It was written by Harvey Schmidt. A movie. Did I say movie? You said movie. Wow, I'm really tired. Uh, <laughs> let's try that again. Take two. Okay, here we go. So, so the, the Fantastics. So the Fantastics. It was a musical that came out in 19... 19- <laughs> I almost said movie again. A musical. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're doing here it again. Here we go. Oh, all right. So the Fantastics was a musical written by a You're not supposed to. I'm clapping so you can cut out my mistakes. You're not supposed to continue. Uh huh. The Fantastics is a musical that came out in 1960 with music by Harvey right. Schmidt and lyrics by Tom Jones. It came out off Broadway. It tells an allegorical story loosely based on several different things. Um, it was loosely based mostly on a play called The Romancers by uh, mm-hmm. uh, Edmund Rostand. Rostand? Rostand! He's a French poet and dramatist. Uh, but it's also draw- it also draws on elements of like Pyramus and Thisbe, which are from Metamorphoses, Romeo and Juliet, mm-hmm. Midsummer Night's Dream, and then a comedic Donizetti Italian opera called Le Elisir de, uh, de Amore. Okay. Uh, thank you. <laughs> um, so the story, gen- and like just s- to sum it up, is mm-hmm. about two neighbors. They right. live next to each other. They're two fathers, one with a mm-hmm. daughter, one with a son, and they pretend to fight so that their children will fall in love with each other. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it's like they're using the Romeo and Juliet principle exactly. to try to to try to influence their children. Right. But the That's fathers brilliant. are the fathers are actually best friends and so they're like pretending to fight and hate each other so that the children feel like they have to go against their parents to fall in love. That's amazing. Yeah. I love it. It's very cool. The show is like so clever and funny. I will get into like the controversy of it and like how it doesn't mm. really hold up very well in some ways right. later. Well, but you've just you just saw this, right? Yeah, I actually just got to see this like a week ago. Um, and I have a whole there's a whole bunch of history that I'll get into later. I want to like just talk about the show as it is, and then I'll get into like my analysis and opinions about it. Um, because that's a whole like <laughs> that's a whole can of worms, a whole can of soda. Yeah. Oh God! Um, so the shows. <laughs> so this show is actually really fantastic. <laughs> um, it's actually really amazing because it is currently the world's longest running musical. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, it ran off. It opened in uh, 1960, and then it ran for 42 years. And it's so tired. It really needs it's to sit really down. It's really tired. It needs to stop running. Um, and it got seven. It, it ended up having 17,162 performances. Jiminy <clears throat> G. Willikers. Yeah. And so it's actually, it's not on the list of like longest running Broadway musicals because it's not technically Broadway. It's off Broadway. Right. The Broadway um, went off. Yeah, which is really unfortunate. Um, but it is the longest running musical in the world. That's wild. Like the whole world, which is crazy. Um, so there have been lots of other productions, of course, like regional productions. There have been television versions and film versions. Um, so many like regional productions and high school productions of it have been done. Um, and because it's a really small cast with a small mm-hmm. orchestra and a, like you can do like it could literally be black box like everybody can just wear like street clothes and you could just have like black boxes and that would be it like you and don't need a whole place lot anywhere yeah i mean like at any yeah time. it can take place anywhere at any time it can be modern it can be old fashioned it can be anything that's awesome um yeah and it's literally like a six person cast i think let me Double That's check that. One, very small. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, technically. But the mute is it's like like the musical equivalent of waiting for Godot. Yeah, sure. Um uh, it was revived off Broadway from two thousand six to two thousand seventeen. Okay. Um and as of two thousand ten, its original investors have earned two hundred and forty times their original investments. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money that I wish I had. The musical has played throughout the U.S. and at least 67 foreign countries, which is pretty cool. Pretty uh, fantastic. So (laughs) so it's about two fathers who pretend to fight to influence their children's love life, which isn't weird or problematic at all. Um... (laughs) And they do this, and it they do this successfully. And so Tom Jones made the lyrics. Uh, yes, the music is by it's Harvey. Not Schmidt. unusual. And the, the no, that's that's Frankie Valley. <laughs> no, I don't. No, it's Tom Jones. I don't think it's that Tom Jones. It- I think it's that Tom Jones. I don't think it is, though, baby. I think it might be that Tom Jones. <laughs> I think he... When was this written? Uh, nineteen sixty. It might be that Tom Jones. I don't think so. I don't know. It's not that common of a name. Um. <laughs> okay. Um. Anyway, so let's get into the plot. It's going to be okay. pretty easy to summarize. Now, I'm going to go ahead and put a preface on this. Preface. I'm going to preface this explanation by saying that like the first act is very different from the second act um okay. and that goes into like the the like the fact of it being an allegorical story so okay allegorical for those that don't know is a literary device of so basically a metaphor which means like all of the characters and the plot are like you, they there's service something of a moral right there's something on the surface right you're seeing the surface but if you dig a little bit deeper there's like an overall arcing meaning for all of it mm-hmm. um and so basically so getting into the plot now so the first act opens up we are introduced to <clears throat> uh our very first character 
um, this mysterious man who we don't know, and he sings this song called Try to Remember, which is probably one of the most popular songs from this show. Um, and he tells us about, he sings about September. And uh, how, like, it was a lovely month and like you know september is the month where people fall in love and it's the month where try to remember september September. when life was green yeah um and so uh one of the main facets of this show that's like super important is there's one character that's called the mute um and this character as explained by the name doesn't have any speaking lines so it's normally played by a dancer Um, and the mute gets to do a lot of like physical things and a lot of times plays the wall that separates the two houses, Mm -hmm. um, which is really cool. Um, and so sometimes the character is just called the wall. Um, but the mute ends up doing a bunch of other stuff too. And like, can like pass out props and does like dances and it just it's like a very cool element of the show that can be utilized in different ways. In wild and crazy ways, depending on the director. Yeah. Um, uh so yeah the show opens up and we have this mysterious man singing this story and he begins to narrate the plot so we get introduced to two young people matt and louisa the boy and the girl who live next door to each other and fall in love but their fathers their fathers are feuding and order them not to speak to each other um louisa who is just turned 16 um fantasizes about the experiences she wants to have in her life and she sings the classic i want song as we, I think we Fan- discussed. Fantasticizes. Yes. Have we discussed I Want Songs on this thing before? I think we did. Um, we, I think we might have mentioned it in Cats, but I think, you know, maybe this is a good opportunity since it's a simple musical yeah. to sort of get so into the this format musical of a musical. is going to be really good to talk about form. Um, it's not a perfect form. It, it, especially when you get to act two, it like really breaks up the form a lot. It, uh-huh. When we get to talking about, oh, yeah. When we get to talking about like Rogers and Hammerstein and Cole Porter and that kind of stuff, they like, you know, they are the ones that like created what the structure of a musical is. So like their structure is more accurate. And then in Waltz's mother <laughs> Tom Jones and he <laughs> right. is just like, your form. Right. Well, I'm a librettist. Right. Well, when this show, uh, when this show came out, I mean, like this was. Right, this show was being written at the same time like Our Town came out. Um, I cursed again. Did you? I did. That's okay. We just have to remember not to do that. Okay. I'm sorry. It's okay. I love you still. Um, I love you still. uh, So, like, this was around the time Our Town came out. So, like, the idea of having a narrator became more popular. Right, um, and our town also has sort of like functional characters that act as right. And it's also like a minimalist sort of a story that can be performed in a black box. Exactly correct. Um, yes, and then also Leonard Bernstein's uh, Candide um, introduced uh-huh. more of the idea of in, uh, incidental music, um, which incidental is like music. which is like uh, instrumental music that plays underneath dialogue. Oh, so like just sort of score. Yeah, like that wasn't being done. You know, like that oh, wasn't cool. Rogers and Hammerstein didn't introduce that. That was Leonard Bernstein. Um, Interesting. Yeah, and so like that's why I mean when you look at West Side Story, a lot of the action that happens is dance over music. Like West Side Story is in honestly, it's like a musical and a ballet. 
Like especially that mm-hmm. whole opening number is all just music and dance. Um, yeah, the whole opening like fight scene. Exactly. Um, so Leonard Bernstein really kind of like, which I'm so glad. I hope we get to actually talk about him before 2018 ends because this is his 100th birthday. He's not alive anymore, but he's 100 years old in 2018. So I really want to like take time to do a whole episode just about him. Um, Macaroni and cheese. That's awesome. Yeah, because his music like super, super influenced musical theater the way it is today. Um, mm-hmm. So I would I want to talk about that at some point. But um, so anyway, um, so talking about structure of a musical. So uh, one of the so we have the opening number, right? Um, that's typical of every show. And then um, normally the song that comes right after that is what's called the I want song which is Mm -hmm. where the main character sings about what they want. And basically what it does is it sets up, you get introduced to the main character and it sets up like what he or she, what their, what their struggle is, what their goal is. And so then Mm -hmm. we see what they want from life. And then after that, we get introduced to the conflict. Mm. So if we're thinking about like, you know, the, the three act structure chart with like the rising action, like the ramp looking thing. Right. It's, if we're thinking about that, this is like the the um, exposition area. So the I Want song sets up like who the main character is, usually sets up like who the main character is and what they want out of life. And so it's telling the audience like, listen to what he or she is saying because this is what the rest of the show is going to be about, is like them right. trying to obtain this goal and then all of the conflicts that get in the way of that. So it, it establishes the protagonist as a, as a, as a needy, needy want desireful and high maintenance person that desires attention got it <laughs> well no not necessarily i mean like i mean there wouldn't be a musical if there wasn't a reason for it to happen like i mean yeah some musicals have like just day in life plots but like you have to have like a setup of a goal in order to have a conflict to get in the way of the protagonist you know like it wouldn't wouldn't make any would there would be no conflict if there was no like anything for the conflict to get in the way of if that makes sense oh, okay english isn't working for me right now um it's fine english.exe <laughs> has stopped working yeah um but here's the thing that's like so interesting about this is like louisa sings much more and which she it's really beautiful she sings about like wanting to be she's just turned 16 and she like wants to go see the world and she wants to swim in a stream and she wants to have her fortune told and she wants to go dance like bands just play all night long and she dances and dances and she wants to have a day um, of not doing chores and that's very there's a few very specific things in there that i feel like might be plot points in this musical they're not it's just i've sung that song and i know the lyrics so i'm like going through them in my head I'd like to swim in a clear blue stream where the water is icy cold and go to town in a golden gown and have my fortune told. Yeah. Okay. It, it's a beautiful song. I like it. And I, I love Louisa. I've always wanted to play Louisa because she's a soprano, but I am very rapidly mm. approaching an age where I don't, I already don't look 16. <laughs> so right. I'm probably never going to play Louisa. But, and there's no other female roles in this show, which is one of my problems with it. Um, although the version I saw casted one of the characters that's typically male as a female and she was amazing. She was so good. Um, 
Yeah. So, so let's uh, let's make our lesbian fantastic. We'll call it. Oh the, my um, god! Yes. Okay. Literally. Oh my god. Okay. I no. I I want to say the whole time I was sitting there watching it, I was going, I wonder if I could turn this into two. If Matt and Louisa could be both be girls, like I'm sitting mm-hmm. there the whole time, like I could make this work. Maddie and Louisa. Yeah. Or you could keep it. You could keep it Matt, and it could just be short for Matilda or something. I don't know. I don't think that's how that do. No. We'll work it out in a workshop. Yeah. So this, so she sings her her I want song. Yeah. And so then we cut, smash cut to Matt. Um, smash cut? <laughs> yeah. In a musical? Yeah. <laughs> jump cut, whatever. Uh, how do you jump cut in a musical? There's no editing. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it can happen. Um, I do. How? So then- you can't just say it can happen. What? So then the narrator introduces us to Matt, and Matt delivers a speech about his love for Louisa. He delivers a speech about how this live production is suddenly being edited um, by a master and creator. He uh, is calling her over the wall in like a in a mockingly like the whole the whole thing is is uh, hyperbole. Okay. Over exaggerated. So okay. Louise, well, it's a, it's they a, are archetypes. It's an allegory. Right. right. But the characters are archetypes. So like the goal is that they're supposed to be above and beyond. Like before Louisa sings much more, she sings this, she spe- says this whole monologue about like, she's like, I stared at myself in the mirror this morning. And as I, as I was brushing my hair, my hair turned mauve and a bird woke me up. And I, it was, I looked out my window and I cried and cried until my eyes turned blue and the tears ran down my face and I could taste them. Like she's like crazy. Um, that's a lot. She is a lot. Yeah. Well, and the narrator goes to say like, she's 16, which is an age that little girls go crazy and like they children go insane. Um, and Matt is 19, almost 20. He's out of college. He went to college and he graduated and he got an education. I remember education. when I was 16 and I spoke in strange prophetic allegories everywhere I went. I Listen. would walk into school and be like, I, I mustn't be here on this day for my cheeks have grown rosy with the cold of winter's coming. And my teacher went, shut up and sit down. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, so yeah, they're hu- They're like just over dramatized characters. Um, so Matt and Louisa meet each other at the top of the wall and whisper to each other about Louisa has had this romantic vision of Matt saving her from a kidnapping. Um, and the wall is a person. It can be. Sometimes it's played by a person. Like I've seen it done where the person holds up a stick with a piece of fabric on it. And that's the wall. Okay. But the version I saw last week, they were on a ladder. Okay. And they talk to each other over the top of a step ladder. So like it really really just depends on what the director wants to do. Okay. Um uh so they have this moment and then Matt's father, his name is Huckleby. He comes in and is talking about his philosophy. He was in the Navy. And he walked in and went, <laughs> it's me, Huckleby. Uh, he was in the Navy and uh, he appears and starts talking about his life of his philosophy of life and gardening. And he's like, you know, he talks about how 
life is shouldn't be oversaturated oversaturated and neither should your garden so don't overwater um and he tells okay. matt to go inside and then Luis's father, Bellamy, comes out and gives a contrasting philosophy of life and saying that you need more water, plenty of water to thrive and grow because otherwise things will be too dry. Okay. Um, and he's a button seller. So, like, they're very different people. Like, they're introduced as, like, completely button opposite. Um, this is so... It's so accessible. Well, it's supposed to be, like, really funny and goofy. It's not, I mean, like, the play is highly stylized and, like, is based off of, like, classic musical theater, but also Commedia dell'arte, which is an Italian art style um, that came, like, way before. It was, like, one of the, one of the... um, (sighs) It's the masky thing where they they go, ooh, and... ah." Yeah, it was one of the origins of theater. So, you know, it was where okay. it's where archetypes come from. All of the archetypes that we know today, like the hero and uh, the beggar and the, the and fool. The virgin and the whore. And, yeah, and the... all of those come from Commedia dell'arte. And it was just, it was Italian art where they would just like pantomime with these masks on. And when you saw the mask, you would know, oh, that's the fool. Oh, that's the wife. Oh, that's the hero because of the way okay. the, the stylized. And then it's also inspired by no. Uh, or no, which is a, like the very, very first type of theater that was ever done. It's a Japanese style theater that mm-hmm. was all comedic and like super, super like costumes and makeup. And it's all just so this whole thing is inspired by like three super just high, Ancient like high energy, of- high showmanship. You know, so the whole just, thing is the whole first act. It's a cartoon. Is, yeah. It's supposed to be silly and goofy and dumb. Like. The, the reaction you're having right now of like Huckleby, what the heck kind of name is that? And like a button seller. Wow. So relatable. Like that's the point. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm there for it. Now I'm in the mindset. Yeah. Um. So the two. So then Skeeter rolls in on his skateboard and warns Doug funny about Roger coming down to bully him. Sure. Um, the children go inside and Huckleby and uh, Bellamy are calling to each other over the wall and boasting uh, about their cleverness and their pretend feud. And so this is the first time the audience knows that they don't really hate each other. Um, and they're right. like, oh, how wonderful it is to manipulate our children to fall in love. And in order to ma- and they sing this whole song that about in order to make your children do what you want, you merely have to say no. <laughs> And so they oh, sing about like, fun. yeah, they sing about like, uh, and rather than asking them to do the dishes, like tell them, you know, like, no, you can't do the dishes. And then all of a sudden they're doing chores. Like, it's very fun and uh, very cute. And actually the production I saw was so cool because the the band, the orchestra for this, these productions is literally like, it's usually like a piano or two and a harp. And that's it. That's wild. Maybe a cello. It's a very small, like, don't need like, much. Just skeleton crew. Yeah, but it's the music is so beautiful. Like you don't it doesn't need more than that. Any more than that, and it would be too much. Um and so it was cool because Bellamy and Huckleby were both played by pianists in the version that I saw. And so hmm. this the show was in the round. Um, and it was this like this like octagonal stage, and on three of the sides of the stage there were three upright pianos, 
And so as they were singing, they would play the piano and like jump back and forth. And they, sometimes they would play on the same piano at the same time and like cross their hands over each other while one moved to a different piano. That's a lot of fun. It was really, really fun and cool. And so like, it was really neat. Um, uh, I, I, I had never like thought of that. And I was like, how does one decide like where the sheet music is going to be like how do you know which piano has to have which sheet music and like how much of it did they memorize and how I, it was just crazy i mean probably all of it no right? they had I mean, like, they had binders on the piano with sheet music in it that's bananas yeah so that's somebody, just a crazy director who like really figured it out well they have a really i the I, the company i saw i know their music director personally he and i are very good friends and he's nothing short of a genius so okay. um <laughs> Yeah, I, he's. Remember how the other day we were talking about musical sorcerers, wizards, and warlocks? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a warlock. Got it. I he's swear, one who sold his soul? I to swear, be. he sold his soul. He's like literally the most genius musician I know. Um, right. Uh, so they are talking about you know manipulating their children, and then Huckleby goes, "Hey, I have this plan. We're gonna end our feud." by having Louis by paying somebody to have Louisa kidnapped and then Matt's going to rescue her and then you're going to be like oh thank you so then this hired professional named hey, El- hey, 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 hey. yeah i get it's supposed to be like high energy crazy wild times but yeah. that's like inflicting real trauma on a real girl. Yeah, but remember, this was based on like really, really old. This is based on like right, old but that's not literary. Great. That's not great. I mean, like, yeah, that kind of that's the kind of thing that would happen in Shakespeare, right? right? Shakespeare like, and Greek comedy and that kind of thing, right? Exactly. But that's not cool. <laughs> that's no, not cool okay, at all. I know. We'll get to like, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that happens and like, you just have to like, we'll get there. Uh, okay. All yeah, right. I'm there's on a the whole ride. lot let's, of like, let's go. Yeah. Just, yeah. So a hired professional kidnapper comes to kidnap their daughter. Well, it turns out that hired professional is also the narrator and his name is El Gallo. Um, and he based literally the guy. Uh, and he appears and offers them a... Gaio. Wait, no, doesn't Gaio mean... What does Gaio mean? Hang on. Does it really mean the guy? I think so. That's what I've always been told. Hang on, I'm looking this up. El Gaio. Yeah, it means the rooster. The rooster. Right. Yeah, that's the that's man, the male. Okay, so the rooster. Still, the guy. <laughs> that's not a okay. <laughs> yes, the rooster is a male. Well, yeah, well, I get that, but like, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't go to a chicken coop and be like, "What are all those guys doing and with those?" Hens. Yeah. All those hens are running around with a bunch of guys. Yeah. That's not what I would say. Okay. Look at all these guys in here with their floppy chins. So he shows up and he uh, he sings this song about all these different varieties of abductions he could do, like all kinds of different things. Um, and it depends on how much they pay. 
And so they decide that they want to spare no expense because their children are beloved. They agree to a first class, in quotes, abduction scene. Uh, and so uh, El Gallo's like, I need assistance. So this, uh, this extremely old actor with a failing memory arrives. His name is Henry. And this was the character that was played by a woman and she was so good. Um, and then his sidekick, Mortimer, uh, who is known as the man who dies. <laughs> and that's his talent is staged deaths. Uh, awesome. And it's so great. There's this whole scene where uh, he takes a drumstick and like does all these dramatic like stabbing himself in the stomach and like pretending to die on stage. It's really great. Um, Excellent. Yeah, and so El Gallo hires them to help with a kidnapping. Um, and so Matt and Louisa um, are out in the forest, um, you know, very, very uh, 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 Midsummer Night's Dream-esque. And there is a rainstorm coming, and so they sing this song called Soon It's Gonna Rain and talk about building a house uh, which apparently, according to Wikipedia, has a hint at physical intimacy that I didn't pick up on, but okay. Um, <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, whatever. El Gallo and the actors burst in, and they're carrying out this uh, this abduction scenario, and basically, this is what's called the abduction ballet. And so, Matt defeats all three of them, the feud is ended, the wall between the houses is torn down, uh, and the children and the fathers are just so excited and they end in a, in a picturesque tableau. It's this like picture. Uh, and they sing this song called happy ending. Cute. And El Gallo collects all the props and puts them away. And then he says to the audience, I wonder how long the, I wonder how long they'll be able to hold this picture. Uh, and then they leave and that's the end of act one. Yeah. Okay. And so when Act Two comes up, uh, they are, we see the children and the fathers in the exact same poses that we left them in Act One, but now they're like visibly exhausted by the effort of holding this like pose. Right. That's um, very symbolical. Yeah. Exactly. So this is where all the symbolism comes in. Is Act Two, and okay. so El Gallo very observes, much like our town where. In the later acts, it starts getting really surreal. Correct. This is where it gets, like, really super real. And, like, it's super intense. Um, so El Gallo observes to the audience that things that seemed romantic by the moonlight lose their charm when exposed to the harsh light of the sun. Okay. Um, and uh, there's this whole, like, symbolism of him taking down a paper moon and replacing it with a sun. Okay. Um, and the fathers and the lovers begin to complain about one another and start noticing okay. all of their flaws because now it's the daytime and they can ah. see things. Um, and they're not, okay. They're not as perfect as that. they thought they were. Right. Um, so the children are trying to recreate the romantic mood that they had the previous evening and are mocking their fathers. And um, eventually sick, like he's just, Huckabee, Huckleby is sick of it and he reveals that the kidnapping and the feud were fake and Matt and Louisa are mortified and they're like I can't believe you did this to us you lied is any of this real and then the fathers 
are now in a real feud all of a sudden and they've like stomped in each other's gardens and they've stormed off to their respected houses and said that they're going to build the wall again. And cool. so building walls always. Yes. The solution um, for elderly white for men. For everything, correct. Um so Matt sees El Gallo and he's like he feels like his honor has been taken from him because he thought he was this like great hero that defeated these three people but like it was fake. Right. Um and so he's trying to like regain his honor and show Louisa that he's actually like quote unquote a real man and challenges El Gallo to a duel but El Gallo's like 40 and so he disarms matt and is like try, like offers to teach him how to fight and he's like no <laughs> and so he's embarrassed <laughs> and defeated and uh matt and louise get in an argument she calls him a poser he calls her childish they call each other a bunch of names um Woof. yeah and matt's like fine a, a song nope just speaking wow. and matt's like fine i'm leaving um, and so he dreams of this like adventure on the road and uh, then Matt goes off, heads off into the world. Um, okay. A month. Now we skip forward a month in time. Okay. We skip forward a month. The fathers have rebuilt the wall. They meet and they speak sadly of their children because Louisa is heartbroken. You know, Matt left her. She's just like she's just she doesn't know what to do so she all she does is sit still and dream of what could be and she doesn't want to be at home anymore she wants to travel but matt was the one that got to go away and so she misses him and she wishes she could be with him with him but also she's mad at him and they didn't leave things on very good terms and so she's worried like he's gonna die out there and there's just all kinds of and matt still hasn't come back um and then they sing another the dad sing another really great song about the uncertainties of raising children called plant a radish Mm -hmm. And they sing about how, like, when you plant a vegetable garden, you always know what you're going to get. But when you raise a child, it's really hard to know because they're like, it's not like, you know, you plant, they sing plant a radish, get a radish. That's the way it works. But with children, it's like you try to love them and they. They turn into a radish. They do. Saddish like a radish. Mm -hmm. Um, So now this is where things get interesting. Okay. Um, this is act three? No, this is act two. There's just two acts okay. in this show. But technically, yes. It's like if we're talking about the third act structure, we're getting into third act here. Okay. Um. So Luisa sees El Gallo. And from this point on, she like from after the abduction on, like this is the first time she met him. So she always calls him my bandit. Uh, The El Gallo? Yeah. Okay. That's how he re- that's how she refers to him is my bandit. Um, and so she's intrigued by this like handsome, experienced older man, and okay. she asks him to take her away to see the world. And so there's this long fantasy sequence, and now this is probably my favorite part of the show because it's like this is like super where we get into metaphor. Holy right. moly, this part like super gets into metaphor. So there's this long fantasy sequence where he gives her a mask and takes her okay. through all of these places of the world, and Matt is going through all of these scenarios where he's being beaten and bruised in all sorts of like, he gets laid on out on a bed of nails. Um, He gets like cut up with swords and she takes the mask down and she's like, oh no, that man, he's dying. He's being hurt. And El Gallo goes, put the mask on, dear, put the mask on. And she puts it on and she goes, oh, how lovely. How They're having so much fun. So she puts the mask on and it's like, 
It's the mask right. of quote unquote unreality. So she's seeing things through these like rose colored lenses. Right. You know, and so it's this like commentary on how like we're constantly surrounded by all of these terrible things, but we wear this mask and choose to, to ignore pretend it. Pretend like everything is okay. Right. Um and Psst, so mask. Psst. Huh? Psst. What? The mask is actually it's Jim Carrey's mask, and she's about to sing Cuban. Pete, no, right? no, no! It's like a, it's like a, um, it's like a Mardi Gras mask. Oh, it's like a fun, glittery, pretty mask. I wanted, to, I like wanted her to sing mask. Cuban Pete and turn into a big green cartoon man. <laughs> no, that came later. Oh, okay. Um. Uh. So then. They they end up back home because he this is he's like telling her all of these things. They don't actually go anywhere. He's just like sharing with her what the world is like. And so he mm-hmm. says, "Go back, go pack your things." And he says, um, "I want to make sure that you're going to return to me. So give me something that you treasure, so I know you'll come back, like as a pledge." And so okay. he asks for her necklace, which is like the only thing she treasures in life because it's it was belonged to her dead mother and it's the only thing she has left to remember her. Okay. And so she gives it to him and he promise her, promises her this world of like beauty and grandeur and all these wonderful things. And so she leaves and um, Matt approaches just having this Ooh. like... And Matt comes back and now he's like all broken and bloodied and he's like this contrasting version of the world that El Gallo is describing of just being like all of the Magical cruel, and wonderful. Yeah, and he's yeah. the like visual representation of all of the cruel experiences in life that one suffers. Right. Um, and so Matt... He just comes back and he's just like... Man, I just got back from America in 2018. Right. Basically. <laughs> right, exactly. Okay. Um, so Louisa goes away. Algayo turns to leave with her necklace. And Matt makes a pitiful attempt to stop him because he doesn't want to hurt Louisa. Um, but Algayo pushes him away and disappears. And Louisa returns. What a guy. Yeah, he's terrible. Um, Louisa returns to find that he's left with her necklace and she, she sits down and cries. So he comes, El Gallo comes back now as the narrator and explains that he had to hurt them and also hurt himself in the process and so they would grow. Because he okay. says that nobody grows without a little uncomfort. Like, right. So like you have to go through life and be hurt in order to learn things and become a better person. So you can't live in this world of fantasy. Right. Everything's great. Exactly. And so that's, he was saying that like, he was like, I know I hurt them and I hurt myself too, but this is something that must be done in order for us to grow and like understand that we can't just live in this world of grandeur. Right. So um, he shoots them both in the knees. Right. And then they slowly bleed out and never are able to walk without a limp again. Baby, what the, what? No. <laughs> What? You said he needs to hurt them in darkness and no, it gets like, all like, scary. like emotionally. We're not like talking about, he's not like capping them, baby. Oh, okay. Never mind. Never mind what uh, I said. Uh, anyway, uh, Matt talks to Louisa and tells her a little bit about everything that 
he's seen and like how the world really is and then they realize that all they wanted in life was each other and they sing this great song called they were you they were you they were you it makes me cry it's so beautiful oh (laughs) baby it's it's literally one of the most beautiful love duets like i've ever heard in my life i've sung it to you before yeah you okay so that's the end they well, the, the fathers come back and they're they're just they're really joyful that like their children are back and together and they're about to, to tear the wall down. Um, but El Gallo reminds them that the wall must always remain. Why? Good question. That is up to interpretation, I think, based on the director. Okay. Um why do you think why do i think um i think because you are huh you think therefore you are (laughs) i think therefore i am yes um no i think it has to do with like i don't it's it's hard because there are so many layers to this metaphor um, but I think it has to do with like keeping some semblance of separation in your life, like between the things you want to have and the things you have now. Right. If that makes sense. Boundaries are healthy. Yeah. Like the idea of that, like it's, it is healthy to have like to draw a line. Right. And, like, so like you can you be know, friends but that doesn't mean you should share a garden together. Right. Right. Cause when they tore down the wall at the be- at the end of act one, when they tore down the wall at the beginning of act two, the two were both gardening the same garden together, but they have different philosophies. And so that was part of what made them feud and argue was that right. Huckleby likes to, you know, keep his plants a little drier than Bellamy does. Bellamy likes to just soak them in water. And so because they have these different philosophies, you know, I think that's part of like the wall must stay for us to, the wall is like the boundary, right? So like we can have different views and different philosophies. The wall is what keeps you two from fighting. Right. Like the wall is the idea of like, I guess it kind of, to me, it represents like, Uh, I mean, I hate to say, like, agree to disagree, but, like, that kind of thing of, like, Mm -hmm. you and I have, like, for example, uh, just in general, like, somebody, me and somebody else have different philosophies about something. Like, we can still be friends just because we disagree on this one thing. Right. You know? Okay. So, and that's the ending. It ends with you must keep the wall. Yeah. And then he sings a reprise of Try to Remember. Okay. Um, so, so the idea- I have a few things. I have a sure. few things. Sure. I have a few things I want to get into. First of all, um, the hired kidnapper. Yeah. Does kidnap her. Kind of. Yes. <laughs> he, he does. No, he actually kidnaps her when she goes, take me away. Strange 40 year old man. Take me to see the world. Well, he doesn't take and, her. He lies. Right. And he but says, he, I'm going he to take He drugs her and puts her in a mask. Like- <laughs> Well, but that's, no, that's just, it's a fantastic, he's like telling her about the world. Right, but that's weird. It's played out as a vision, like he takes her these places, 
but he doesn't actually take her anywhere. It's all just it's all just like okay. a it's all just like a vision. It's still super creepy because no, she it meets is very him where creepy. in the woods. And like, there's actually a part where she asks she asks him to kiss her. Gross. And he says I might and doesn't. Gross. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's one of the things about this musical that doesn't hold up. And I tried to make that point to my parents about it. I was like, she's 16. Like if she was 18, it might be different and I might not be as uncomfortable, but I would still be a little uncomfortable because he's like 40. Gross. Yeah, it's really yeah, she's he is un- over yeah. twice her age. Right. And my parents were like, "Well, it was a different time and people got married a lot younger back then." And I'm like, "Well, that's still she's still like Ugh. He's, I, I, he's I don't want to think about two, it. But two and a half times her age. Yeah. It's not as <laughs> That's bad gross. with Matt. That's like, really gross. Right. It's not as bad with Matt. Like, Matt's 19 and she's 16. Oh, like, yeah. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. I mean, like, well, kind of. I mean, like, it's all right. Like, it's not. It's not terrible. as creepy and weird. Plus, right. he's I mean, like, like that's that's basically our age difference, and we're dating. But also, like, I'm 24 and you're 21, right? So, like, that's not. It's plus, different than plus, 19 well, and 16, I'd but like, are probably also argue that they're like mentally and the same maturity level. Sure, I can dig on that, but like, 40 and 16 is no, not that's, okay. That's bad. Um, and the other thing is, like, your your parents are manipulating you to to. To, to bone each other? That's not okay. Yeah. Um, That's not okay? Yeah. Are well, they the only two people in the world? Because this is the other thing. that The way you've described this, it seems like there are four, there are was seven people in the world. Yeah. Well, because all of the fantasy sequences, like El Gallo enacts all of those fantasy sequences using the two actors he hired to help him with the abduction. So, yeah, there's literally seven people in the whole world. Right, um, and so these are the two only like mating pairs in the whole <laughs> world. Where are their mothers? Dead. So just dead mom syndrome. Yeah. Classic Disney yeah. Disney dead mom syndrome. Yeah. Okay. Although well, here's the arguably, thing. arguably, there's like nothing in the show that says they have to be fathers. The fathers could both be mothers. Right. Although the stuff is written for male voices, so you'd ha- probably have to do a lot of transposing, like if you had female singers. But I've always dreamed of doing an all-female production of this show, and everyone right. argues that El Gallo can't be a female because his name is the Rooster. But I'm like, it could be a girl. Why not? I don't understand why it can't be. La Gaia. Yeah. Whatever. The girl Rooster. <laughs> okay. Um. Uh, what was the other thing? Okay, so I want to talk before I get into like the most controversial thing about this show. I want to talk about mm-hmm. the overarching metaphor. So, okay. in the version I saw, it was actually really off-putting at first because for the first act, it's actually off Broadway. <laughs> uh, for the first act, Matt, Louisa, Bellamy, and Huckleby all used puppets that looked just like them but they were like muppet puppets okay but no but it's it's because in act two and act two the puppet goes away and And they become their real selves right there's all of this imagery and there's actually references to it in the script like in the dialogue and the and the lyrics of puppet play and puppetry and louisa says to matt when she finds out about the fake 
feud and kidnapping, she goes, oh my gosh, we've been puppets this whole time. And so it's this idea, which is super cool. I loved that the director did this. Sort it was, of a Garden of Eden, forbidden fruit, forbidden knowledge kind of a awakening yeah, moment. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, it was kind of like that. And it was it was really cool how the director did it because like I said, it was super off-putting at first to see these characters like with... Off-Broadway. No. <laughs> I know what I'm saying. <laughs> it was really off-putting at first to see these characters like talking to Muppet versions of themselves. What does pudding have to do with this? Baby! <laughs> um, to see them talking to these Muppet versions of themselves, it was like super weird. And then like when we got to Act 2 and the Muppet the Muppets went away, I was like, oh my gosh, it makes so much sense. Because they also took off all of their colorful clothing and all of a sudden they were all wearing gray. Just like normal ass. Yeah. And so it was like people. all of this spectacle and like drama is that's not what real life. Like that's not what real life is like. Um, right. And so it's this idea of like this is the grandeur that we build up for ourselves. You know, we we build houses in the woods and we, you know, imagine, you know, our loved ones rescuing us from a bandit and we dream up these fantastical scenarios of fighting with each other so our children will fall in love like but that's not how things work like that's just not real life there's no such thing as a happy ending so, and so ex- that's what so act two is I'm, I'm getting an idea of the name here sure so the fantastics yeah could be interpreted as you know these are people who are living a fantasy right Correct. Could also, but the sticks part is like they're living out in the sticks. No. Is that? No, I think, no. I is mean, Is that a puppetry thing? Possibly, but I think also it's fantastics, like, fantastical, like. No, I get that, but like, this, the K, why the K? It is a fantastical romantic allegory where youthful idealism meets prosaic reality ironically through fantastical sequences the spelling is whimsical oh, okay. so th- they just so spelt it funny for for poops and and ha-has well i think it's also because i can't curse so that's what i'm <laughs> left with <laughs> that's good um uh i think it's also has to do with the play the french play that the show was based off of is called le romanesques but it's spelled I, it's like R O M instead of a no. It's R O M A N E S Q E S. No, it's spelled like that. Okay. They took their new title from Fleming's translation of Le Romanesques called "The Fantastics," complete with quirky spelling. <clears throat> Weird. Okay. Uh. So it's just supposed to be a quirky, haha, Zoe Deschanel kind of moment. Sure. Um, the original French title had implied not just people who were romantic, but more than that, adventurous. A hallmark of the beats most famously described in Jack Kerouac's Bohemian Odyssey, a genre-busting 1957 novel on the road, which okay. would eventually serve as a model for Matt's adventure around the world in Act Two of Fantastics. Okay. There was no so, direct English translation of that idea of romantic adventurousness, um, but Fleming's con- consciously whimsical misspelling of an approximate English equivalent. Okay, so it came from the play. He spells the word fantastic 
Like fantastique in French, he spells it like that. F-A-N-T-A-S-T-I-C-K-S. Okay. So they take it directly from the French play. Um, It was an approximate English equivalent seemed to convey the sense of rebelliousness that the authors were looking for. A hint of outrageousness, subversiveness, and et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, it was literally just so you would look at the title and go, well, that's weird. Fun. This is very cool. I'm going to... I somebody everybody should read this article. This is very cool. This is a background and analysis it, I'll, I'll by Scott Miller. I'll link it in the description. Yeah, I'm linking this to you. This is very cool. Oh, oh my gosh, it's like a whole chapter in a book. I'm gonna read this whole thing. Okay, I'm gonna so link this to you on Discord. Um, let's get to the um, the 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 bad. You want me to talk about the controversy now? Hell yeah! Let's talk about that controversy. Right. Now here's the or thing. Or should I say, controversies? <laughs> I spelled it quirky. Uh huh. Uh, here's the thing. I am on. I am conflicted about this issue. The same way I'm conflicted about, like, old-fashioned shows like Anything Goes. Um, because in Anything Goes. In the original production, there are, at the end, the characters get help from these Chinese mobsters. Okay. And by doing that, they have to dress up like Chinese people. Okay. It's it's super racist. But, like, anything goes as a musical is, like, super important to history. And so it's, like, Uh one of those things is, like, we... No, Siri, I wasn't talking to you. Um, <laughs> it's one of those things where, like... Super searching, super racist. Yeah, right. <laughs> First said, result, America in 2018. Yeah. I, I said I said history, and she thought I was talking to her. Um, I think it's important, but, like, it's kind of a relic and, like, shouldn't be performed anymore. But also, like, I don't think we should erase it because right. I think it's important to, like denote that as part of like we should talk about those things and say hey kids this is bad but like we shouldn't be like pretend it never happened you know right it is a part of our history right and that's my opinion like so not everybody agrees with that but like anyway that being said so the original musical used the word rape a lot um okay because the original literary definition of the word rape is kidnap or abduct. So okay. all of the abduction sequences were called rape sequences. So there was the rape ballet. Um, it was repeated. Woof. Yeah. Repeated use of the word rape like over and over and over again. They sing it over and over again in, the, in one of the songs. Oh, God. Um, but like it's something like many classical works like Alexander Pope has a thing called the rape of the lock. Um it, but it, it's, it's about bride kidnapping. So, like, they were just, they were going for, like, this old-fashioned, like, Greek Shakespearean comedic feel. And so they used that word in a literary sense. Now, remember, this was 1960. This was before, like, sexual assault and actual, like, sexual rape was, like, something we talked about a lot in the public. Right. Um, so as the play continued to run, as the musical continued to run, they took out the word rape and replaced it with abduction and then okay. called it the abduction ballet. And like now they only license the version 
with the word abduction in it. And if you perform the version with the word rape in it, you actually can get sued because that's not the official version anymore. Okay. Um, it's not licensed by MTI. Like, yeah. Um, well, that's, I mean, that's good, I guess, but that's Hachi Machi. That's not a good thing. I mean, like that's up there with, um, baby, it's cold outside. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, but you have to understand, like, we have to think about it at, in 1960. This is a product of the time. And it was written before that. It just premiered in 1960. Right. You know, and so, like... And it was based off a play that was written earlier. Right. And and multiple plays that were written much earlier. And operas that were written in, the you know, the 17 and 1800s. Like, old, old, old stuff. Um and so they I, they really were just trying to be literary. And, like, I'm not I, – I, I hesitate to defend them for doing this because I know people are going to be like, that's bad. Because, like, I agree. Like, I, they shouldn't have done that. But at the same time, like, I understand why they did. Um, and part right. of me wishes, like, we would still talk about that. Because, like, I didn't even know until my dad told me. Because the version that he performed in, like, the 80s, because he was Matt once upon a time, the version that he performed in the 80s was still using the word rape. Gross. Yeah. So, um, yeah. That was, that's the okay. only problem I have. It didn't get changed until 1990, which is, like, Ouch. way too late. Um, Ouch. But... I do think, like, when we teach this musical, like, we should be honest about what it What's used to been, be. Like, we yeah. shouldn't erase that this is what happened. And, like, I think we should explain, like, this is why they did it. And, no, that doesn't justify it. But, like, this is what their thought process was. And I can understand that, especially because of the time period. But I right. am glad that it's changed now. Like, if I walked into a theater in 2018 and listened to them sing the word rape over and over again, I would be, I would, I would get up and walk out. Yeah, it's a bit much. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, especially when you're doing it in a comedic sense. Like, that's just, right. I would get up and, and it, walk out. Yeah, because that's... rape has a different definition now than it did in, mm -hmm. you know, the 1700s. Doesn't mean right. that anymore. Um, so... It's kind of, it's a weird, it's like a weird, I, I, it shouldn't be a gray area, but it is. Like, it really should just be black and white, you know? Right. But, like, it is, it's this weird gray area of, like, I get it, but also, yikes, but also, I under, I get it. Like, it's hard to, I, I'm trying really hard to be, like, sensitive about it, but... It's you a know. yikesy kind of a moment. Like yeah. it's not it's not easy to talk about, but I mean like that's history for you. I mean like yeah. it's yikesy to talk about the history of Fanta. And like that's yeah. a delicious sweet soda that we all enjoy, but it's from Nazi Germany. Germany, right. And like and it's that's yikesy just to a part talk of its... about like slavery, but we're gonna have to get into that because there's yeah. like all kinds of musicals that talk about that, but not in the way they should. So right. like and I mean like it's it's it is a foundational part of how this nation was created and we can't erase that absolutely. history. And like and the fact that people like it's, continually it's do... erasure and you know, this sort of um like I was saying in the beginning, that that sort of neoliberal idea of like, right, 
um, you know, and I, you know, I, I say neoliberal, not saying like liberal is bad. You right. know, we're not political, but you know, this neoliberal idea that all things are the same, we're all the same. There's no difference. Let's erase all of our differences and diversity, and create a sort of monoculture, homogenous thing, and just get rid of all the bad stuff. And just talk about the good things. And every time something bad happens, just sweep it under the rug and just keep moving forward as if everything has always been okay. Right. And that's the kind of thing we can't afford to do as a, as a culture. Right. And so, you know, yes, this happened and it's a yikesy moment in this in this play. And it's because of history, you know. Well, like and the other thing that's yikesy that I need to bring up that I didn't mention <laughs> um, is that Mortimer, the man who dies... Uh-huh. Uh, is an actor and he he's a British actor with a Cockney accent, but he walks around pretending to he's dressed like a Native American. Yikes. Um, and um, in the musical, they use the word Indian a lot. Yikes. Yeah. And it's one of those things where like you want them to change it, but you also kind of know that they can't mm-hmm. without rewriting a lot. Like they're yeah. not going to go through that effort. And that disappoints me. But mm-hmm. also it's another one of those things of like it is a product of the time and like I almost don't want them to change it. And then I at that point I'm like, okay, this is something we should study and learn about and I guess see performed every once in a while, but I don't think it should be like done. You celebrated. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It um, should be archived and understood but well, not celebrated. And that's something I wanted to bring up because like I love this musical. I love the mm-hmm. music. I've always loved the music and I have a very close and personal connection with this musical because when I was teeny tiny, like two or three years old, one of my very, very first memories is seeing this musical that my Aunt Lindsay, who's like, as you know, is like one of the most important people in my life. She Mm -hmm. directed it and my Uncle Jason was mad and at the end of closing night, he got down on one knee and proposed to her. Wow. Yeah. Like, so this musical is like, is super ingrained into like some of my your earliest memories your foundational identity forming memories right yeah like you know because i grew up in the theater i grew up seeing shows and so like this is one of the earliest things that i remember seeing and of course like i didn't remember it at all because i hadn't seen it since i was two or three years old until last week so you know it was it was really upsetting. It's like when you watch a show a lot or a movie a lot when you're a kid and then you grow up and you your morals kind of change. You like get really solidified in like what you believe right. and then you watch something again and you realize it doesn't hold up. Like well, I, I had that I had that exact feeling when I watched um Robin Hood Men in Tights. Yeah. Um the Mel Brooks movie. That yeah. was that is a foundational film in my comedic identity. And like Especially my, because of Carrie Elwes. Oh my God. Right. And I mean, like, those are jokes and things that I use to this day. There are phrases in that movie that I say to this day just right. as like things, they're just ingrained in my vernacular. Right. And I, you know, watched it recently and it's like very homophobic and yeah. it's like very like toxically masculine, masculine. And like a lot of the jokes come from the fact that they're men wearing tights. Tights. It's right there in the title that men aren't supposed to wear tights and because they are, it makes them look kind of gay and that's the joke. Right. And like, you know, it was a product of its time and like it was fine in the moment, but like looking back, it's a little hard to watch. Right. 
Yeah, and so that's how I felt coming out of this musical. Like, honestly, I was a little heartbroken because mm -hmm. I so badly wanted to go in and just be like, oh my God, I love this musical so much. But like, I almost feel like I can't even say I like this musical now because there are so many things that are wrong with it just because it's so outdated. Right. But like, oh, the music is so good. Yeah. It's so good. Like, I can't, it's just, oh. Like, <laughs> it's so good. I can't even, like, begin to talk right. about it. Because it just, like, it is... I don't know what it is about the piano parts, but it's magical. Like, it just is... Cause it's the, beautiful it, in its simplicity, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, it's so sparse. Because, like, like, literally the production I saw was two pianos and a harp. And Well, if it's anything like its sort of sister play our town because it sounds like it has a lot it's, in common it's with got this. a lot in common with our town um, yeah. and it came out of the same culture if it has anything in common with that the whole allegorical story structure correct it's uh it was a minimalist movement designed to be performed anywhere by anyone with anything right and you know if it was any more complicated it wouldn't feel intimate because right. the point of the, the point of the Fantastics and the point of our town and the point of that minimalist movement in theater at that time was to create a, an experience that hit you personally. Not it wasn't an experience like wow, look at the colors and the oh my god, the how many people are on stage doing synchronized dancing and harmonies and wow, it's this powerful force, this operatic, incredible, you know, epic moment. Instead, it was it's an intimate. It look at your personal psyche and beliefs and relationships and it you know when I saw our our town it changed my life and so you know that's the kind of thing that Fantastics I think is going for and I think that's probably what you're feeling is that you know it it's personal it feels personal not you know spectacular I love you. I love you. Look at you, smart girl. I'm so proud. I'm learned. Yes. Uh, all that stuff about the minimalist mi minimalist mu movement is true. And at some point, we'll get into like all the different eras of musical theater and how it evolved. And like, but yeah, I mean, that's part of the reason why this show was off Broadway is because it was kind of a bit before its time, to be honest. Right. Um, well, it was also avant-garde, you know, like it yeah. was not mainstream. But here's the thing about it is that like it has the trimmings of a mainstream musical, like the way it's structured and the music and like it really does like feel like it could be. And I think part of that is just because today like it's been around for so long. I feel like it's a musical that everyone should know just because it like it has been around forever. But there are so many people who I'm right. like, have you heard of the Fantastics? And they're like, I don't even know what that is. I'm like, it's literally the longest running musical in the world. How do you not know what it <laughs> is? You know, because it is so, it's really bizarre um, and outdated. So people don't, you know, but whatever. Anyway. Anyway, I think, you know, I think that's as good a place as any. Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of else like you to really complicated feelings about this and like, you know, I, I don't know. It just... It, well, I think a good moral for this episode, the, the, you know, the point of this that we're making is that not all musicals are perfect. 
For sure. And, you know, they're a product of history. They've been being made as yeah. we've grown as a people. And so while it's not okay for a lot of what's in there and what has been in there to be in there, it doesn't mean it's not worth criticism and it doesn't mean it's not worth the accolades it gets. Right. So while it's incredibly problematic for a lot of reasons, whether it's a 40-year-old who is willing to kiss a 16-year-old. Right. Or it's, you know, uh, promoting abductions and things Here's like that. Here's the thing I will say the about that, rape, though. But- Here's the thing I will say about that, though, is that in that moment and from then on, El Gallo is actually framed as the villain. So it doesn't glorify him for telling Luisa that she's he's going to kiss her and take her away. It actually, like, they the show actually sh- makes him look like a terrible person right. for offering to do okay. that. And. Even like in the end when he says, I had to hurt them and also hurt me, you're still as an audience member like, yeah, that's fine, but you're a, a mean guy. <laughs> you're a you're mean, mean baddie. You're yeah, mean like jeans. you from then on, you're like, and it's it's actually very effective because he's the narrator. So you're like, oh, I've trusted you up to this point, And now you're like this terrible person. And so then, well, that's, then that's like the that's like the twist in our town as well. Is, right. You know, the narrator, you're following the narrator this whole time. And then right. poof, at the end, you're like, oh, you're death. Right. Um, and, and so like, it's, it's actually spooky. it like plays into the metaphor of it, too, because now you are experiencing what they are experiencing about, like how you believed and trusted this fantastical person to be like good and to be leading you through this story. And now he ends up being like terrible. And so it's that like dream reality dream world and then break the mirror and now all of a sudden you're in reality and so you as an audience member are also left shattered like matt and louisa are because of the way el gallo has treated you and them and yeah right it's very good (laughs) it's a very good musical but you know like it has its issues and everything has its issues fanta has its issues and i think that honestly you know this is a place where we can catalog this and have an open discussion. And so I want to turn the discussion over to you, the listeners. Um, tweeted us what you think. Yeah. Your, you know, what are your opinions on this, uh, on these issues? Whether it's, you know, a literary term like rape being used as, you know, as a as meaning abduction. Sure. Like, you know, if it's, you know, because it's an homage to sort of classical literature and theater, do you think that's okay or do you think that words change over time and we need to change our use of them sure. do you, or something in between? Do you think that, you know, musicals that are products of their time should be encapsulated and not changed as a sort of time capsule of the sort of productions and, and popular ideas of that time or should they be modified to fit a modern interpretation of those stories? Should we change these stories right. to affect the modern, you know, consciousness? Or should we be, you know, keeping them as a sort of memory of what it what what we used to think like? You know, art is something that grows and changes over time and borrows from itself and becomes whatever we need it to be. And theater's a big part of that and so i want to turn it over to you the listener what are your opinions on what we've discussed so far because this is you know probably one of the more controversial um plays that we've musicals that we've discussed on the show and i'm sure we'll discuss 
much more controversial ones down the line. For sure. Well, um, and the other thing I would want to just like make a disclaimer about that is like, I personally am very uncomfortable. Like I don't like talking about politics. Haley knows this. Like I, I just don't, I, it's not in my nature. Um, but it's not so much about politics as it is well, about Well, but culture. it is, though. I mean, yeah, but, like, musical theater, though, in general, gets really political. Like, it does. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially right. down, like, when we start getting into stuff from the 90s and the early 2000s, like, it gets right. really, really political. And so, you know, we're going to step on some toes and probably have some opinions that people disagree with, which is fine. Like, that's part of what right. art is so supposed I, I, to do. It's supposed to start up conversation and like make you think about like what your moral values are and like where you stand on certain issues. You know, yeah, I've always been of the belief that a podcast is, you know, it's a conversation between two people and I've always felt like it's a conversation that I want to be a part of. And so I want sure. to extend an invitation to people that I want you to be a part of this conversation. This sure. is not just, I don't want it to just be a dialogue. I want it to be an open discussion. Well, as long because, as you're doing it in a polite way, because I do run the Twitter. Yes. <laughs> well, yes. And we don't want any mean genes coming on here no. yelling about cockamamie ideas. Um, so just, uh, you know, be polite, be respectful. We, you know, the fan base that we've been accruing on Lunar Light has been really, really nice Radical and really people. respectful. And I love you all. Yes. Um, so we don't expect any mean genes, but, you know, please be be kind and re- remember you're speaking to people. <laughs> um, <laughs> we are humans. So, um, yeah. Why don't, why don't we uh, wrap it up like that? You know, come reach out to us at Tin Pan Diddly Do on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find us, our show, and our other shows, uh, including a new show, uh, What You Call It, yeah. on LunarLightStudio.com. We just had a new uh, person come into the fold. And if you would like to uh, do what they did uh, to get onto the network, you can submit your podcast to us. Uh, we are currently reviewing a couple and we're speaking with them about getting their shows on the network. <laughs> if you have a podcast that you want to have on the network that you think fits within our ethos of sort of like queer people and women and positive ideas and genuine sort of positive... Um, good vibes. Yeah, you know. good vibes, genuine attitudes, genuine love for things. Um, yeah, we're super if, not about irony, just by the way. <laughs> right. So we're not, super not, we're not here that. for, a, you know a show where you review things that you hate and and make fun of them. That's no, we're not there for that. But, um, you know, we're also getting another podcast coming on the network soon. Uh, my former roommate, Tom is doing one called super bootleg podcast seven about bootleg video games and how he loves them and treasures them as history and thinks that they should be cataloged because the artists put a lot of uh, work into that. And, um, yeah, you should come on down to the website. Come on down to the Lunar Light Studio website. We got all kinds of things for you to try out here. So, you know, reach out to us. Our uh, personal Twitters, I'm at HeyStews, and uh, Blue is at Blue Space Queen. And um, if you are interested and- in submitting a podcast to us, the best way to do that is to send us an email at LunarLightStudio at gmail.com with a short description about what your podcast is and preferably an episode that we can listen to um, to kind of gauge you think best exemplifies your ability yeah. as podcast. Um, and if you've got a brand new podcast that you're starting up, send us your pilot and we'll take a listen and we'd love yeah, to send us a, send us a pitch. Just send us the pilot um, and uh, a sort of elevator pitch idea. Absolutely. Of what it's about. And, and we're we also happy to just like developing that. 
review podcasts and give you advice if you don't even want to be on the network you just want like how can i make my podcast better we are happy to (laughs) happy to do that too so because we are the podcast queens of the universe i mean we're very quickly becoming so (laughs) um so please uh you know don't forget to leave us a review on itunes and tell your friends about us um, you know, especially people who you think really love musical theater yes. or would be into our show. Share the love. Um, we only share it spread by word of mouth. And um, I think that's as good a place as any to wrap up. Will you want to take us out? Exit stage left. Presumed by a bear. Seriously? Seriously? <laughs>